Well, I've got a bottle already here. Let's replace it. I'll set that down right there. Oh, man, good morning, uh, Driven Church. Uh, I think of uh, our, our seniors that are here today, and we're celebrating them, and, you know, and, and then everything we've witnessed over the last week, you know, in Texas, and, you know, the heartbreak of so much loss and tragedy, and, you know, it kind of brings your focus back in, doesn't it, and you begin to understand, you know, life is so fleeting, and I mean, it's here one moment, and it's gone the next, and and that's, you know, that's just not a saying, that is absolutely true, and uh, you guys have heard, you guys have probably read this week some of the heartbreaking stories that have come out uh, from down in Texas with the school shooting and whatnot, and um, so as, as a church, we need to be praying for those families. You know, um, I, I can't even—I can't even imagine. Carrie will tell you, I, I couldn't watch one report on it. You know, other than the initial report that came in uh, when it, when they started going into the details and they started showing pictures, it, it wasn't an issue of me burying my head in the sand and just not wanting to see it, Doug. I just couldn't take it in. My mind was going places that it wasn't just, it wasn't healthy for my mind to go. And, uh, and I, you know, it, it, it's just a heavy situation. And so uh, I would ask you guys uh, to, to be praying for those families. I know you don't know those families and they're at a distance from you outside of, you know, uh, your arm's reach. But our prayers cover miles, states, covers oceans and countries. And we still have the ability to affect uh, things down there in the lives and hearts of these families. And I'd ask you just to continue to pray for them. Hey, we are in Exodus, and today we actually start Exodus chapter 10. Um, you know, every, every week when I'm, I'm going through this, and I understand, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're going to deal with the eighth plague. You're like, man, we've... We've, we've been in the plagues for a while, and we have been in the plagues for a while. And uh, uh, every week uh, I start, uh, and I have an idea. I'm like, this is what I'm going to share. And then it never happens like that. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, I know most of you are thinking, I know you always extend it, Trent. Well, that's not the case. Uh, uh, th this week I was actually going to cover uh, the, the plague of locusts and, and the brief plague of, of darkness, but I'm going to cut that short. And uh, we'll cover darkness next week. And I had said last week uh, that we would cover it this week, so I apologize to you. We're just going to look at the eighth plague here. And, and we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 10. And I'm going to do something that I did last week. I want to read the first verse, okay? And then we want to read the last verse that we'll be covering. And then we're going to dig around on the contents while lies between the two. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord." And then 
the very last verse in, uh, that we're going to be covering today, verse 20, says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray, Father, that right now the hearts, if they were closed up, oh, God, may those, the doors of, of the hearts of people swing just wide open on the hinges of their heart this morning. And I pray, Father, that cloudy minds would become clear and that in this moment we commit and dedicate our, 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 our clarity to receiving your truth with, with the hope of applying it to our lives and allowing it to transform us. Because we need it. I need it. We need it. We need your word to guide us, comfort us, direct us. And so we trust you right now to speak through a jar of clay the truth of your word may your spirit move today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, last week uh, we dealt with the seventh plague. You know, we'll do a quick review. And remember the seventh plague was the plague of hail. Remember that? And it was a devastating plague that fell upon Egypt. And it was, it was in response to once again Pharaoh resisting God. And so God sends that seventh plague, the plague of hell, devastates the entire nation except for one small region, that being Goshen. And Goshen was the region or the community in which Israel, the children, the Hebrews resided, okay? And then the scripture says that, uh, it, it, it told us that, that Pharaoh, because the, the, the hailstorm was so devastating, that Pharaoh... Uh, actually, to some degree, what appears to be comes to his senses and he acknowledges that he had sinned. Remember that? He actually calls uh, Moses and the men. He says, hey, hey, okay, I see this. I have sinned. I need you to talk to your God to do something with this hell because we've had enough of God's hell in our life. The hell and the, we've had enough of that. So there was an acknowledging of sin, but it was motivated to get out of the difficulty that he had found himself and his nation in, that being this devastating hailstorm. There wasn't real repentance. Real repentance would involve a change. And a change would have been from holding on to the children of Israel to relinquishing them to go worship God. That would have been the change. Because his posture was one to hold them. What God was calling them to was a, a place of real repentance, which would mean to release them. So he acknowledges that he has done wrong, but he doesn't change. You and I acknowledge a lot of things, but acknowledging things doesn't necessarily set things in order, does it? There's times it's, it's one thing to say, this is wrong or this thing I'm doing isn't right. It's another thing to correct that. And that's what real biblical repentance is. And that's what we talked about last week, right? <clears throat> and then we saw last week in the scripture also that it wasn't just Pharaoh's heart that was hardening, right? It was his officials. It's the first time that we recognize the influence of Pharaoh over those around him. The scripture actually said Pharaoh and his officials' hearts were hardened, Right? And then the scripture closes out with Moses actually praying to God 
to, to relinquish or to at least withdraw this hailstorm, even though Moses knew, and if Moses knew, God knew that Pharaoh and his officials did not fear God. Because we spoke about what it meant to fear God. Because there were servants who feared God, who Egyptians who did fear God, and they were obedient and they followed God's direction. And then those who didn't fear God didn't. And Moses makes this declaration to Pharaoh, I know that you and your officials do not fear God. And what he was implying was this, you're not going to follow through and listen to God. That's what he said, listen, man, I'm going to go ahead and ask God to, to lighten this thing up, but I know you're not going to keep your word. I know that. And so that's where we kind of pick this thing up this morning in chapter 10. And so let's look at this, okay? It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials. Now listen, we kind of got to revisit this from time to time because we'll have new people in here and their question is going to be, well, if God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, then why is God holding Pharaoh accountable? Right? That's the question. Most of us, when we read this scripture, that's the question we typically ask. Well, we know when we study the Hebrew what that actually means. There are two words that are used in the Hebrew to define the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Right? The first one is kazak, which means to strengthen, meaning this, God gives or strengthens the heart of Pharaoh or gives him over completely to his own desires. That's what it really means. He lets Pharaoh do what Pharaoh really wants to do. And the other is a Hebrew word called kabod, which means to be heavy. Remember that? It stresses the will as being slow to be moved, unimpressionable, and slow to be affected. So you can see both words apply in regards to Pharaoh's condition. God strengthens or gives him over to his own heart. And what does that end up doing and creating in Pharaoh? A heart that will not respond to God. Right? So we see this. And so this is what the scripture says. There are the, the, basically three reasons right here in this small portion of Scripture on why God does this. The why behind the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The why behind the process. And this is what he says. For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. It wasn't simply to demonstrate and expose the faulty nature of their own religious system and their false deities. It wasn't just to show them to be impotent. It was to show and demonstrate to them the truth of who Jehovah, Yahweh God of the Hebrews was. He was literally in his mind. He said, I've done this that I might show my signs. And the signs, his power being expressed was pointing back to whom he was. He was literally wanting to reveal himself. And it wasn't just to the Egyptians. It was to the Hebrews who had lived in bondage for 400 years. And this is what he says. So that I may perform these signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and your grandchildren. Hmm. I've allowed this to happen 
So not only will you know, but I've done this so you will tell your children and your grandchildren. Mm. That you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that they and that you may know that I am the Lord. I love one translation. The translation we're reading out of right now says how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians. The NLT actually reads like this, how I made a mockery of them. But ultimately he was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this that I might show my signs that you might tell your children and your grandchildren that you may believe in the Lord. That you may believe in the Lord. Because it's essential for this to be fixed in your heart, for your own experience with me. You must possess this to extend it to someone else. You must believe before you can ever tell your children and your grandchildren. I'm going to say this, and I just want to be frank, and I'm not talking about Frank Brangers. I'm not being Gabe's father. I want to be frank and just forthright with you. The extent of my reach into the lives of your children and into the lives of your family is extremely limited. Kevin's reach into Nathan's life will always always extend further than mine. Weston's reach into Wayland's life will always be further than mine. Jeff's into Benaiah's will always be further than mine. Tim's into Grace. I could go on and on and on, but I say to you, Mom, I say to you, Dad, you must understand that in the life of your children, you must be the hero. Some cat up here standing behind a platform or behind a pulpit sharing this lacks the power and the influence of a life well lived within the confines of your home. You will always trump me. You will always trump the worship leader. You will always trump the Sunday school teacher. And it's a simple, a simple equation. The amount of time that God has given you to reach into the lives of your sons and daughters so far exceeds mine or anyone here. There is no comparison. God wants to do great things in your life that you may know him so that you can tell your children and your grandchildren. You must understand that you are going to be the difference maker. It isn't me, and it's not somebody up here. It's you around the kitchen table. It's you in the living room. It's you in the bedroom at night talking with them as you put them to bed. It's you explaining the difficulties of life. It's you. 
It is the influence of God in you. That's something you can't pass to someone else. You can't pass that book. It's yours, says mom, and it's yours as dad. And God, just as he wanted it to do in the life of Moses and the children of Israel, he desires to do for you. He wants to show his signs in your life to convince you that you may be able to speak the truth with conviction in your life. And when I mean conviction, I'm talking about your children know you know. I'm telling you, there's only a few things in this, this life of mine that I've known, that I know for sure that I've done right. And one of them, Carl, is having given my life untethered to God, given my life to him, and lived it out before my kids. My children will never say, ever, ever be able to say that I did not have a dad who loved God and lived it out within our home. Each and every one of us should be able to make those same declarations this Sunday, this Monday, this Tuesday. This is the type of life I'm living before my children. I wish I could reach into the lives of those who I see deficiencies playing out and have a greater influence. But that's just not the order of things. I've watched Derek and Taylor raise up little Ivy, and Ivy's around me for a significant, or uh, to some degree, a measure of time. And that measure of time, Carrie and I have, have shared with her and done with her. But the vast majority, the vast majority, the vast majority of her understanding, the vast majority of her grip and her hold on who Jesus is has been taught to her and given to her by her mother and her father. And Greg, I, like a couple other parents here, are looking at our children at graduation. And we're like, they're going into a new season of their lives. And I look at my son... And I measure the spiritual deposits I've made into him. And I pray to God that he is not living with a deficit on account of me. So the scripture moves on. He, he says... So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Man, this is so powerful. This is some heavy stuff. This is the reason you cut off the darkness plague. You can't get through all this. Not and keep you awake. Few people laugh because many know this to be true. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Listen to this. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let me say this. When we resist God in our lives, 
It's because of pride, right? And, you know, I love little acronyms and little plays on, play on words and that kind of thing. But right there, man, if you look at the word pride, right dead in the middle of pride is a big old fat eye in it. How long? How long will you refuse? How long, how much pain will you inflict? How, how much loss will you cause? How much brokenness will you experience before you humble yourself? That's a question you and I ask, right? Or is being asked of us when we resist God in our lives? How long are we going to fight this fight? What is going to be the collateral damage in my resistance to God? What am I willing to, to, to surrender? How much am I willing to lose How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? You're not humble. And then he says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. <laughs> let me say something to you guys about these crazy plagues, okay? These crazy plagues that we've been reading about, and they've been crazy. Man, we've had frogs. We've had gnats, lice. We've had a little bit of everything going on, right? Some hailstorm. These are natural occurrences that are influenced and fueled by supernatural influences, that being God himself. When he's talking about a locust, a plague of locusts, this isn't just any plague of locusts. They have experienced plagues of locusts. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read and we will get there, the scripture says that this is a plague of locusts that had not been seen nor will be seen. This is what he says. This is the eighth plague. He says, they will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail. Now listen, that's, that's substantial. We would normally read over that, man, and we'd just move on through. Let me tell you something. When you go back to the hailstorm. You remember? There were things left behind that had survived the hailstorm. Remember that? Remember, we identified that to be the mercy of God, right? When we cheapen the mercy of God, I'm telling you, man, I know this. When we cheapen the mercy of God, we may expose ourselves to live for a season without it. And every one of us, whether faithful or unfaithful, have experienced the mercy of God whether we see it or we don't see it. And believe me, if it's ever removed and God, out of his sovereignty, removes that to allow you to experience what it's like not to have that in your life, you will realize it quickly. And that's what he says right here. He says, because you've continued like this and you haven't humbled yourself, he said, I'm going to send this plague of locusts and they will devour what little you have left after the hell because you continue to resist. Even the mercy that was left behind will be devoured. That's a scary thought. 
That's a scary, scary thought. Including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. This is a plague unlike anything they have witnessed regarding locusts. Go ahead and throw a photo up there, Clark. This is something that's just happened in, in modern... This, this is in Africa. Throw the next one up there, Clark. Throw the next one up there. Live like this, man. Live like this. And what you're witnessing and seeing in these photos hails in comparison to what we're about to read about this when the Scripture says that there's not been another plague of locusts like what they experienced in Egypt. So whatever we're showing on TV hails in comparison to what Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt experienced at the hand of God. And the scripture says, then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. I, I kind of like this. He speaks for God, no commentary. He just goes. You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that, isn't that where we should be to a great extent? Man, let's just speak what God wants us to speak and just end it, Tim. No need to add to it. No need to elaborate. No, just say what God has told you to say and just move on. And Moses leaves Pharaoh is what the scripture says. Check this out. And Pharaoh's officials said to him, now Moses is gone. You know, they're trying to keep everything in house, right? And he says, how long would this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is in ruin? You know what they're saying right here? You notice what he said, a snare to who? To Pharaoh? No, 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 no. To us. Right? And this is what's happening. All of a sudden, this thing's getting really serious because they got skin in the game and it's costing them too. And so they look at Pharaoh. These are his advisors. And they're like, hey, man, it's one thing when your decisions are jacking your life up, but man, your decisions are starting to create a snare for all of us. I remember my dad, you know, you guys know the story, my dad being an alcoholic and, you know, living the life that he lived and, and all those things that that may imply. I remember as a kid, uh, my, my dad uh, finished concrete. And apparently he was a pretty good concrete finisher when he was sober, which was about, I don't know, 30% of the time, I suppose. And uh, I remember um, because of his drinking, uh, there would be times that... Uh, he would drink up his money, whatever he was making. And there were times we just didn't have stuff. We didn't have stuff because it was sitting in there on a table in a bottle. We didn't have food because there was a bottle on the table, you see. And I remember we had one vehicle my entire childhood. And it was a truck. You remember that, Dwayne? And I remember one night he left drinking with his friends. Hours and hours pass, and he comes home, and he's dropped off out front. And he comes into the house, but there's no truck. We only have one truck. The only vehicle we had 
growing up as a kid. The only one. And as a little kid, I'm like, where's, it, where's our truck? I could hear the argument starting and whatnot. And you know what he had done? He had taken that truck and he had gotten involved in a poker game, Dwayne. You know. And he had lost the truck in a poker game. And as a little kid, man, if I could step back into that little kid's life right now, I don't want to grab him up. Like the officials probably wanted to grab up Pharaoh and said, How long are you going to allow this to be a snare to our family? Your alcoholism, your abuse, how long? Because now it's snared us and we're paying the price. And that's what's happening right here in Egypt. And the officials are saying, man, let this cat go. It's costing us, and it's costing us greatly. Do you not realize that Egypt is in ruin? Is ruined? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Sometimes we insulate ourselves where we don't really measure and see the full scope of the destruction of the decisions we make. We don't want to see it, right? And so that's what they're saying. You know, do you not realize what's going on in Egypt? Man, you're sitting up here. You're sitting up here in the past. Do you know what's going on out there? And sometimes, you know, if we're really open to God, if we're really, really honest about it, sometimes, man, we want to make decisions and live our life with blinders. We don't want to know. I can deal with whatever decisions I'm making that are hurting me, but I don't want to know how my kids are responding to my decisions. I remember as a little boy, and I've told y'all this story, I remember as a little boy, my father coming in completely intoxicated at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I remember as a little boy laying in the bed when I heard that old screen door open and shut, and I remember as a little boy doing like this, Doug. Scared to death. I remember him shooting up the house. I remember him shooting the stove, shooting the TV. I remember him shooting through the ceiling where people were staying upstairs. I remember my mother taking beatings so we didn't have to. You know what I'm talking about, Dwayne. I sit there like this. Four, five, six, seven years old. Because my dad was like this. It was his truck. His loss. He couldn't see the little boy in the bedroom. So we live like Pharaoh sometimes with the blinders on and the voices closest to us are screaming at us. Do you not see the ruin in your life? Do you not see the ruin in your children, in your grandchildren, in your relationships? We're like this. Blinders on, man, because we don't want to see it. This is what we don't want to do. And God is saying, to him who has eyes to see, ears to hear. <laughs> it's Memorial Day, Trent. We got a cookout to get to. Do you not realize that Egypt is in ruin? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God. All oh, sounding good, right? 
He said, but tell me who will be going. <laughs> We've covered this, right? And Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and our herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord, everything and everyone. You know what he was saying in that statement? To really celebrate a festival unto the Lord, to really worship him. You know what it requires of our lives? Everything. He said, I can't leave stuff behind and worship God. I can't leave stuff behind and serve God. I don't even know what God's going to ask of me. I've got to take it all. And everything's got to be on the table. Everything. I'm telling you, that Moses was down with some stuff. He knew it, man. I got to have my children. That's what he's saying. I got to take my kids. I got to take our possessions. They belong to God, too. I got to take my livestock, my resources. I got I to take all of it. Because it's going to take all of it. Then the scripture says this. And Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go. You know what he's basically saying? If I let you go, you better hope God's with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children. You can almost see... You can almost read into that, right? You can hear that. You can smell the, the, the nature of this response. It's not a delicate, quiet, gentle response. That's not what it is. You see the exclamation mark right there? You see that? The Lord be with you if I let you go, go along with your women and children. I don't think so. Clearly, you are bent on evil. No. That's what he says. Read it. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord. Since that's what you have been asking for. That's not what he's been asking for. That's not what he's been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. The Hebrew word for driven is garage. And it means to evict or expel, to toss. At this point, Aaron and Moses are old men. Bold. And yet the scripture says right here they were driven out. And the Hebrew would imply that they probably had hands laid on them. Evicted. Tossed out. And I would say to Pharaoh, be careful laying your hands on the man who has the hands of God upon him. <laughs> You're about to find out, Jack. Be careful who you put your hands on. And Moses and Aaron were driven out by Pharaoh's, out of Pharaoh's presence. Now, Pharaoh ends this conversation with the assumption that he has had the final word. Here's the deal. Take him in. Get out. 
You know what the next verse says? And we're closing, we're moving on pretty quick here. You know what the next verse says? And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt. <laughs> you don't have the last say, Jack. You don't have the last say regarding the matters of God and his people. End of conversation. Think not. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. His grace was shortened by his own hand. He said, okay, okay, this way you want to play? That little bit I left for you? I'll take it too. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great members. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor there ever be again. You saw the photos. It doesn't compare. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Now you remember when I told you this, and we'll briefly mention this, that in each of these plagues God dealt with a given Egyptian deity. Remember? Well, this is the God, the Egyptian God set. And he was the God over uh, crops. <laughs> Protector of crops. You better sit down. <laughs> he was exposed. The locusts come in. Cry out to set. See if he saves your land from the hand of Yahweh, Jehovah God. He's neither strong enough or present enough to oppose the Hebrew God. And Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I like that. He quickly summoned him. The impact of the plague of the locusts was so devastating, he quickly, you can see the locusts swarming in, devouring everything. He's like, get Moses, get Aaron. Nine one one. I need those two Hebrew cats. Palace of Pharaoh, right now. Click. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Oh my. Was he really repentant? No, was God's grace still there to relieve the plague? Yes, because God had a purpose, right? So Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind. Come from the east, blew to the west, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Maybe this wouldn't be the last time the Egyptians and Pharaoh saw those locusts. You know, I think they find themselves down at the Red Sea. Yeah, I think so. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. Okay, closing right here. This, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see that? Uh, in 
when Alexander the Great conquered uh, Egypt, the Middle East, uh, the Mediterranean area, Asia, during that time, uh, the Greek language became the predominant language of the region. And there were many Hebrews, many Egyptians, and, and, and so forth who had to adopt the Greek language because it was the predominant language of the time, of the, of the new kingdom, the new empire. And so what began to happen was there began to be raised up generations of, of Hebrews who did not speak Hebrew, but were taught and spoke only Greek. So during that time, uh, there was a, uh, uh, an Old Testament uh, uh, translation uh, in Greek that was, that was actually uh, uh, accomplished, and it was called the Septuagint. If you know, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek. Well, because of Alexander the Greek's conquering of that region, this was the Septuagint around two to 300 uh, B.C., roughly around that, or uh, A.D., and uh, uh, the Septuagint uh, was the, the Old Testament written in Greek. So the Greek-speaking Hebrews, Jews, could read the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, there's a word that is used to describe Pharaoh's heart. And it is a word, skleruno, skleruno. And it means dry, hard, or rough. It is actually the root word where we get a medical term called sclerosis. The hardening of vessels, the hardening of arteries, the hardening of tissues. Typically, that sclerosis takes place where wounds have once existed and scarring is done by the body to heal it. But in healing it, the scars actually makes the tissue harder, drier, and brittle. This word right here describes Pharaoh's heart. He was suffering from spiritual sclerosis. His heart was becoming tried up, hard and brittle. And we close this scripture today, this verse, with a question that you and I have to answer regarding our own hearts and whether or not we're suffering from a little bit of sclerosis. I'm not as tender as I used to be. I no longer weep over the needs of my children. I'm no longer moved out of my bed to pray. I no longer desire to intercede. I'm caught up in my own activities, my own objectives and priorities. I'm suffering from sclerosis of the spiritual heart. 
if that is what is happening to you. This is what it says in Hebrews, and this is the verse. This was written in Greek, the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. 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 This he did when a long time later he spoke through David. As in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's the exact same word that was used to describe scleruno. It's the exact same Greek word used to describe Pharaoh's heart. And the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament under the unction of the Spirit guided by the hand of Jesus is saying to the church, to you and to me, don't let your heart get like Pharaoh's. Don't have a heart like Pharaoh's. Because when you have a heart like Pharaoh's, you live with blinders. And you destroy everyone around you, including yourself. Stand with me just for a moment. We'll close. I'll get you out to your cookout. As they might say, get out there to your chicken, your fried chicken. Because that's what I'm going to be eating this afternoon, possibly. I don't know, listen, I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I, have, I have no real idea. I'm not, I'm not uh, tracking you on Facebook. You know, I'm not in your messenger. I'm not waiting for the mailman out there. I'm not, you know, but God knows, and you know. You can recall, you can remember days, man, when the tears would flow because your heart was so sensitive to the things of God. You remember the, time, the times, man, that you would jump out of bed, man, like you had been spring-loaded to intercede for your children. And now work has taken its place. I'll spring up for the job, but oh, I'm not going to spring up for the baby. You know what I mean? Oh, you know what I mean. You know how I know you know? Because we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been there from time to time, and we have to kind of recalibrate things. We have to recognize the, the sclerosis that's set up in us. And we have to pray to God again and again. Oh, God, take this old heart of stone. This old sclerosis, field heart, take it and give me a heart of flesh again. 
Let me live a life, Jay, without the blinders on. Understanding the full impact and reach of every decision I might make. Yeah. Give me a heart of flesh. Is that where you're at today? You need a heart of flesh? Sclerosis doesn't set up in, in you. With your heads bowed just for a moment, we'll ask Carrie to come. We're just going to give a moment. Hey, tomorrow's Memorial Day. You're off work. You can give God a moment, can't you? Just a moment. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to consider, just be honest. Just be honest. Just be honest. Is your heart a little dry? A little rough? A little hard? It, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. For God is so good and gracious that he can reach into your heart and he can take that rough, a hard, dry heart. And through his spirit, he can massage it into good health, transform it. Mold it literally in his hands. He can give you that exchange, the great, the great exchange. You literally have an opportunity this morning Having come in suffering from sclerosis of the heart. And you can leave this morning completely healthy in your heart, in your spirit. But that's your decision. Mom, dad, son, daughter, that's your decision. And so we'll give you a minute, we'll give you a moment. this is it. The scripture in Hebrews said God again set a certain day calling it today. This is your today. Do not harden your heart. Do not allow it to stay hard. In Jesus name. Just a moment.